In the marketing communications landscape, commercial sponsorships are often viewed as somewhere between invaluable marketing tools and a chairman's whim. Fortunately, this is beginning to change, with sponsorships maturing for mere bit players to play in genuine and major roles in delivering commercial returns and benefits. But how do we know when it's done correctly and efficiently? Salesandmedia.com decided to ask some experts and try and find out what really makes sponsorships commercial. Hi, this is Paul Gardner, and today I'm talking to Adrian Balajon, who has worked across three continents in a number of industries, and I've never seen so many industries, a lot of them myob and football clubs and baseball clubs and stuff in Australia and stuff in Canada, and uh, I'm very pleased you can join us today. Hi, Adrian. Hey, Paul. I noticed when I looked at the organisations you have worked for, there was an awful lot of sport. Is, is, that, is that a passion or just the way the business has worked out? I would suggest I'm one of those lucky people who have been able to do something that they get paid for, but it's involved in sport. So growing up, I've, you know, in Canada, you grow up with a pair of ice skates. By the time you're four years old, you're out on the ice. And, and uh, then come summertime, you play baseball. And it's just been something I've been very passionate about and been lucky to connect both a passion and, and work. Adrian, you talk about in your business that you um, help create teams that you say, as you say, to swear by each other, not about each other. How, how do you do that in, in a time like this? I mean, you must be sick of looking at the Zoom screen. Yeah, it's um, yeah, you get a little tired of looking at yourself, that's for sure, especially when you look like me. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. When when COVID hit, everybody thought, oh, what are we going to do differently? And you know what? I was one of those people who came out with a, you know, how to do teamwork during COVID. And you know what, I think that was just the initial reaction to how do we respond to this. But when you take a step back, take a deep breath and go, well, actually, how we work together, the fundamentals are still the same, right? I'm really big on two things when it comes to creating teams that swear by each other. There's two things. It's about making sure that there's a lot of clarity across the team and that there's really strong relationships. Now, in COVID, to me, it's it's not, those two things that doesn't change. It's just how we do those things that has changed. So, to me, it's you still go back to the fundamentals of creating clarity and creating creating strong relationships. How do you create strong relationships now when people are so far away from each other? I mean, the culture of the workplace must surely be dissipating, and you can only see that exacerbating post-COVID as people say, well, I quite like working from home. I quite like working only four days a week. I like coming to the city once a week. I mean, how, how will you build that culture then? It's really fascinating. I've been, I've been talking with, you know, executives from across the world and, and some of the initiatives that they're taking, they're, again, going back to the basics, they said, actually, we've started to incorporate more personal stuff into the agendas, mm-hmm. right? We're actually asking people, hey, what did you get up to on the weekends? And, and you know, what's, how are you going? And, and part of me goes, you're just doing that now? Like, to me, that, that, that is fundamental, again, to building that trust. There's actually research that has demonstrated that doing calls over the phone, if you've got a, a group that has worked together, you can actually get better. You can pick up on emotional cues much stronger. Is that right? Really? It's, it's just another example of, you know what? It still comes down to the fundamentals. You know, when you're creating relationships, it's about building trust. It's about sharing feedback in a productive way. It's about being curious. It's about creating safety to, to say, hey, I don't get what you mean, or I must have missed that. And then also, you know, when you're creating relationships in work that are going to be highly functional, it's also about using conflict. 
how do you make conflict, use that as a tool versus something to be avoided? To me, those are the things that can create really strong relationships, regardless if you're face-to-face in a room or face-to-face on a screen. Well, one of the experiences that you've listed in your CV is to maximize the return on multi-million joint venture sponsorship and supplier relationships. Is that going to continue on as we move forward, or is people going to take a pause, or are they going to say, listen, you know, I've done without this sponsorship for six months, nine months. Maybe I don't need to spend that much anymore on the football or the cricket or the ballet or whatever it happens to be. I mean, how, how do you see people's mindsets towards sponsorships changing as a result of COVID? To be honest, I think it's a little bit early. My experience right now in working with both rights holders and brands is that they're both very heavily invested in it. And by that, I mean, so I run something called the Sponsorship Lab for Brands, and it's essentially a collaboration group for sponsorship managers. How does that work? So we've got, we meet four times a year. Um, COVID has changed the way we meet. Now we've got both Sydney and Melbourne groups all meeting together. And it's a chance for sponsorship managers to share some of their challenges that they're facing, talk shop, um, share some of the opportunities that they're learning. They can pick each other's brains on which agencies are good to work with and which right holders are good to work with. And we just met last week. And what I found that the group, and this was consistent across everybody, is that the businesses are still investing into sponsorship activity. They're just finding new ways to create value. And even from a capacity perspective, you know, one of the, I asked the question was, you know, is everybody still have lots to do? Are they being shifted into different parts of the business? And everybody was still, their teams haven't shrunk. They've still got a number of initiatives. So from a brand perspective, organizations are still investing into those partnerships. Because your natural inclination would be that sponsorship would be the thing to suffer from the marketing mix, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd imagine that most major advertisers and brands would tend to go back to the safety of free-to-air television, dabble back in a bit of social media, cut out the things they don't need, such as activation in sponsorships, which a lot of them don't exist anymore. Yeah, and what what I found is that it's changed over time. So when COVID hit initially, come March, first questions that sponsorship teams were being asked was, okay, right, how much money do we get back? This is what the finance teams were asking. and Thankfully, you know, the CMOs and the directors of marketing were saying, oh, hold on, let's just, let's just wait and see what's going to happen. Then once everybody kind of got their house in order, and I say from a brand, an organization perspective, but also from a rights holder perspective, because better remember the rights holders, this is all brand new to them as well. Hmm. And they were dealing with much bigger challenges. You know, you know, a lot of the sporting organizations were letting go 70 to 80% of their staff. So there was kind of initially this, I think this initial response what money do we get back? Then there was kind of take a deep breath. Okay, let's assess where we're at right now. Hmm. And what there's, it also comes down to what properties they're sponsoring. So you look, anybody who's involved with the AFL or the netball, right, they're into it now. And they're actually finding new ways to leverage or activate it. It's obviously not as much in stadium or much on the ground but they're finding new ways from a digital perspective or new ways to engage with people through screens. So we're starting to see that still happen. I think where I see the biggest challenge from a brand perspective right now, anyways, is for the ones that don't have any properties, look at your Cricket Australia, right? Any of those partners, um, it's not cricket season. And I think when there's a crisis, when you have more time to deal with it, I don't, 
think that's necessarily a good thing. I think in some ways, um, those who are involved with Super Netball or with AFL, they've been forced to make a decision quicker. And then the, what they've done is tried new things and they've found out very quickly what works and what doesn't. Whereas the ones that are still kind of waiting for things to happen, that to me, that's where I'm seeing more of the challenges come from because they're going, oh, you know, what do we do and when do we do it? And do we put money aside for this or not? Whereas the other ones had to jump right in and they've been able to find out what works. Adrian, your experiences, not just in Australia and Canada, is it the same in Canada or is it a different mindset or attitude? I'm, I'm clearly not going to insult you by saying we look at, we look at what's happening in the, in the States <laughs> and, and imagine that's North America in total. But tell me about the Canadian mindset and business and sponsorship as well, or is it just a universal feeling? It's, it's somewhat universal. I think in, in Canada, when you compare here to Victoria, obviously we're in lockdown. It's a very different space. But in Canada right now, where they're seeing some of the bigger impacts is in the event space. I was just on a call this morning with an event organizer, and, and he was saying they're, they're looking like, what are they going to be doing in April or May? They don't anticipate anything happening until then. Wow. Okay. So that's going to make a big challenge, both from an event perspective and for sponsors is going, okay, what can we do? But, but the great thing about this is that what's happening is I actually think this is making sponsorships, and I might even throw out this word partnerships even stronger, Paul. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to touch on partnerships just cutting across you because I, you use – they're almost interchangeable in, in the different pieces that you write. For instance, you have a sponsorship lab for brands. And I wonder why it's not called a partner's lab for brands. Yeah, and it's a question that when I was working as a, as a brand manager and, and a sponsorship strategy manager, you know, I think this, there was this ultimate destination of being a partner. And that, in my mind, was about working with somebody else to create something new that's going to give value and benefit to both parties. Mm. Now, I think when it comes into the sponsorship space, there's some brands and some right holders are, who are well on that way. And there's still a number of brands and rights holders that are still in that, let's call it that traditional sponsorship space, right? Here's the list of assets. Here's what we'll deliver. And here's when. Yeah. Yeah. You give us the money on these dates. And right, we've got a, that's our relationship. Yeah, and also, and also if the bank doesn't take it up, well, the supermarket will or the car company will. So there was no real consideration for the essence of the brand. It was just like, this is what you can have, take it or leave it. That's right. That's right. And now where money is going to be much more scrutinized, right, from, from organizations and the finance departments and, and, and looking going, what kind of return are we getting, particularly depending on what organization with, with the upcoming budget cycle coming up, but what the, the feedback that I've got, and this is probably more from a rights holder perspective, is that they're starting to change. COVID has, has forced them to change how they look at sponsorships. And I had one chief commercial officer say to me, he goes, this is going to redefine how we look at it. In the past, we probably haven't been a very good partner. We've been quite transactional upon reflection. You know, he shared a couple of examples where they've got a, a partner whose industry is really, really struggling. So what they've said is they, they've postponed a payment for the whole year. Wow. Okay. But they've said, you know what? We're still going to give you assets, right? And you think about if you're the, on the brand side of things, the trust that that, that has just created and this, this idea, that's a partnership. You're struggling. We're here to help. We're not going to just leave you high and dry. To Do you think that's a function of the size of the property owner? So if you're a 
if you're an AFL or uh, Cricket Australia, you've got more clout than if you're a secondary sport, let's say Hockey Australia or you know, Athletics Australia. So you would, I'd imagine the second tier absolutely being that case. But are the first tier really going to start saying we have to reconsider the way we do business? We have to make these sponsors more partners? So that's the exact same question I've got, Paul. And I, and I don't have an answer for you. I think there's aspirations. And I think, you know, I see a little bit more in the media about AFL and how they've, they've taken a new approach to partnerships or sponsorships, whichever word, you know, you want to use. Um, I haven't seen that yet. Doesn't mean it hasn't happened, but I think that's the opportunity that those big rights holders have to really challenge themselves and go, right, we can continue down the same path that we've gone before, or can we start to be a little bit, you know, a little more flexible, a little bit more understanding. And, and, and to me, that's where if the big ones can do that, that's going to benefit. But this is where I think some of the smaller ones can start to demonstrate even more value outside of just eyeballs is that they can go, you've got a business problem, right? We're here to fix it. And actually I'm going to get on the front foot and here's some ideas that we've got. I think if the smaller, you know, the, the second tier or third tier partners can start to do that, they'll be able to start to demonstrate a better, better return on investment. Adrian, without putting words in your mouth, you're, you're essentially saying that the words partnership and sponsorship are not interchangeable. They're very different beasts. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think when you think sponsorship, it is that traditional, here's the list of assets, here's the fee, we will deliver, you know, there's like a tick box. Yep, we've delivered the EDM, we've delivered the player appearances. That to me is a sponsorship. A partnership is more around... There's something that somebody wants to create that's going to provide value for both organizations, and they find a way using both strengths, both assets and resources to create that. When I look at the organizations you've worked with, sort of circling back to that for a moment, you have large organizations in there, especially from a sports perspective, such as Rugby League or some of the football clubs, Hawthorne Football Club, Brisbane Lions. And then you have a lot smaller ones like Baseball Victoria, which you'd imagine would be struggling at best. I mean, how, how, do, how do you approach personally talking to them differently? Do you, is one you go to and say, listen, you guys are on top of the game, put your assets out there, find the partners, get on with it? Or do you suddenly say to them, there's, there's new opportunities here and you have to think differently regardless of their size? In my mind, it, it comes down to the basic fundamentals. It doesn't matter if you're the, you know, the top footy club, the, you know, whether you're cricket or whether you're something like a baseball sport. It's about going... What are the challenges that your your partners, your sponsors, the people that you're working with, what are the problems they've got and how can you help them fix it? I think it just comes down to that. And the sponsorship lab for brands that you run, take me through a sense of, of how many people are they mainly, are they property owners or sponsors or, or sponsorship opportunities? To, what sort of people come to your lab? Yeah, so we've got this year, we've had about 18 and they're all work on the brand side of things. So they're, they're, they're truly the sponsorship manager. So uh, all of them sit within the marketing team. And, you know, typically how it'll work is we come together. People will share some of the challenges ahead of time so that I can then put that together and share with the group. I try to bring different perspectives into the group as well. So we've had agencies come and guest speak and talk about some of the challenges that they're facing, um, some of the opportunities that they see. Um, I mentioned before we had the chief commercial officer from one of the sporting clubs within the country. And to me, those are the three major parties, your suppliers, your rights holders, and your brands that can really make the sponsorship industry grow. And the better understanding 
that each of those parties have of the other's challenges right. to me gives the opportunity then to tackle those challenges together, which ultimately lifts the bar for the whole industry. Adrian, you've also written a book, or you're about to release a book. Has it been released yet? No, it's uh, the book's Teams That Swear is coming out in October 2020. Tell me about the book. So essentially, it's, it's a guide for aspiring or existing leaders. What I did is I spent about 12 to 18 months looking at all the different research that's out there in terms of driving high performance. I've also talked with leaders from across the world, both in corporate and in sport, and, and tried to gauge what worked for them and what didn't work for them. And then across my 20 years working in corporates, you know, I've worked with the likes of some big brands like you know, Imperial Oil, Novartis Pharmaceuticals, HBA, Bupa. These are some, some big brands where I've probably made more mistakes earlier on and then tried to learn from them as I've gone along. And essentially what I've tried to do is create this checklist for leaders that they can use if their team is not humming, you know, if they're sinking or they're spinning their tires or they feel that the team is self-serving. This guideline can help them and kind of take them to that ultimate space where they can say that my, my team is truly shining. Who, who will publish the book? How do I get a copy of the book? So you can visit my website, which is adrianbelargencom slash books, or another URL that's probably a little bit easier to remember is teamsthatswear.com. I think for the non-French speaking uh, listeners, of which I'm one, you should spell Belarge and it's B-A-I-L-L-A-R-G-E-O-N. Yeah, it's, I'll give it this tip. Everyone's going, how do we spell the last name? It's three words, bail and large and then on. Okay, even I can remember that. Adrian, so you're Canadian by birth. You're over here. You either followed business or, or a love interest, I imagine, or maybe a bit of both. Uh, do, you have, do you have plans to go back to Canada? Is it the kind of environment you'd say, I want to be back there? It's, it's really humming. It's buzzing. Uh, Trudeau's doing a good job. I'm sick of Australia. Or is Australia home? Well, I, I've always said, never say never. If you would have asked me 15, 20 years ago, would I be living in Melbourne, Australia? You know, when Canadians think of Australia, and Australians don't like it when I say this, but Crocodile Dundee was the biggest thing, I think, for tourism overseas. And that's, you know, that's, that's what, when Canadians think of that, that's what they think. They think of Mick, and they also think of, uh, of the beaches. So I've been here 15 years here. My wife is from here. Will we go back? Who knows? But it's definitely something with this type of work that I do when it comes down to helping organizations and helping teams work better together, that's not restricted to Australia. So if I could wave the magic wand, that's, I'd be doing some more work in Canada, and that allows me to bring my family over to see my family, my parents and brothers and nieces and nephews. And, and yeah, that would be the ideal outcome. If, if, if life and business wasn't hard already, COVID's really added a new level of a new dimension of complexity to it. And it is more complex. It's ever-changing. It's a situation we'll find ourselves in. And there's no doubt that many people listening to this podcast right now, Adrian, is saying, I just don't know what to do with my sponsorship. I don't know what to do with the investment. I don't know. As you said, should I cut it? Should I drop it? Is it working? What do the new KPIs look like in 2021? Mm. I have no idea what to do. And all I can urge them to do is if you're worried about it and you have no concept of it, please look up adrianbalajan.com and talk more about the Sponsorship Lab for Brands. And uh, he's my special guest today, and I, I thank you very much for your time. That's great, Paul. Thanks for having me.